First of all, uh, if you're following along, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 5. Some of you brought your Bibles. It will be on the screen. Um, Exodus chapter 5. Uh, we'll also be making our way to Acts chapter 17 as we go through the scriptures. Many of you know that we've started a study on the book of Exodus as we launch our way towards, um, obviously, the, the final consummation of deliverance, which is Easter, and as we make our way there with Christ. And so I want to encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. It's important, uh, not only because we learn and we grow, but because you will realize, just as Jesus commended the Bereans, um, that what I'm speaking about is, is scriptural and true. And how many of you would realize that we, we live in a culture that sometimes isn't always telling us the truth? Have you noticed that? Um, so we want to be bearers of light and bearers of truth. And, and uh, I just, I just want to start off by, um, by thanking God that you are here. First and foremost, it's so important to be. And, and for you parents who brought your children, I know how hard that is. And that's a sacrifice, and I want to say this, well done. You deserve an applause every week, to be fair, because it is not easy getting children out of the house. Amen? I didn't hear enough amens there. Uh, do you remember what happened when you were young and you had kids? It was always difficult. But uh, anyway, it was beautiful, and it's so good that they're here. A second is this. Um, I happened to be in Glasgow yesterday, and... I was taking Ellie to the Royal Conservatory of Scotland, RCS, as she practices on Saturday and, and does training. And while I was walking through the streets, whether it was the homeless man or the groups espousing their political causes at Buchanan Street, I noticed something very unique about the faces. There's a lot of pain being carried around. And I noticed that everyone was looking for something. And they were walking through the streets looking for various things, whether that was going into a shop or whether that was a conversation that needed to take place or whether there were groups there that were looking for some kind of cause that would be forwarded. People were wondering what's happening. And you know, as we come to the end of the pandemic uh, and we come through this, spiritual searching is spiking why? Because people, people are wondering, what did we just go through and why did we go through this? And, and I believe that we're at a very unique place. And God is about ready to do something in the midst of the chaos that's going on in the world. And I don't know about you, but I've been praying for the Ukraine. I've been praying for Russia. I've been praying for the, the rumors and the rumors of wars and the Eastern Front. Why? Because it's important. Because we're living in an age in which what? People are searching for something. Whether that's more land, whether that's independence, whether that's freedom, whether that, well, you name it, people are searching for it, whether it's a relationship. And there are certain times which conversations about the Bible become platforms by which we begin to speak truth. We begin to realize the miracles of God. And throughout the whole of the New Testament in the life of Jesus, as God is fully man and he's fully God, he's able to make things from nothing. We call this in theology ex nihilo, that God is able to create things. And I believe after the pandemic, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people, God is about ready to create. And I'm not saying that God will make nothing out of something, uh, especially for those of you who are interested in the... Uh, in the Dundee FC and the Dundee uh, United games this week. 
Um, there are still miracles that need to take shape. But Exodus 5 draws us to a deeper truth about why there is this longing and there is this need. And why God delivers. And we've moved into a place now in Exodus when we have to start seeing that God is about ready to deliver his people. And it's a context in Israel that was determined by their cries. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, there's this conversation, Look, the cry of my people Israel has reached me, God says. And I have seen how they have been harshly dealt with by the Egyptians and how they are abused. How many of you have felt a bit abused over the last couple years? I mean, we don't like to talk about it because it's a little, but we do feel that way deep down. And there's a clear principle in the kingdom that we're, we're about ready to understand in the text. First is God hears you and I. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you are like, amen to that? That God hears us. The second thing is this in the context is that, that the political system of the Egyptians was abusing the people of Israel. The Hebrew word for oppression comes to us, and it's a bit more than the concept of our oppression that we deal with. It literally means to press or to squeeze or to force or to what? Manifest the concept of oppression. How many of you have felt forced, squeezed, pushed upon, pressed upon? You know, you've made decisions and sacrifices that it's like it's like a towel that just keeps, oh, I'm trying squeezing a little more out of me, squeezing a little more out of me. How many anybody felt that way? If you have felt that way, please raise your hands so that I don't feel like I'm the only one speaking to myself. I've felt that way. See, oppression in our lives is real, and it comes to us by outside forces. In the context of Israel, it came to them by the Egyptians. And like a piece of clay, though, God is molding and shaping the people of God through that oppression. He's, he's, he's pressing them into something that he wants them to be. But you've got to go through it, and we all have to go through it. Sometimes it's the fracturing of the mental abuse that we take. Sometimes it's physical abuse. In the context of this, it's slavery that they've had and been forced into. But it doesn't go unnoticed by the Lord. Can I say that to you? It does not go unnoticed by the Lord. God sees you, he loves to talk to you, and he hears you, and he knows you. The Bible tells us that he knows every hair on our head, even those ones we don't have, gentlemen. But he knows us. God also tells us that he instructs the way of the Lord. In the sense that he's the instructor. He's the one who guides the process. We're also told in Exodus chapter 4 that God hardens Pharaoh's heart to keep the people of Israel in bondage. And let us make no mistake that the people of Israel were somehow under some benevolence of the Egyptian army. Not in the eyes of Moses. Ultimately, it's God who's controlling the whole situation. God controls everything about our lives, irrespective of who the leader is, irrespective of what's going on in the, in the situation. God is in the midst. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. And God doesn't make mistakes. He knows exactly what he wants to accomplish when he begins something. And so he works in our lives. 
And the question for us in the context of this deliverance in Exodus chapter 5 is, are we listening? Are we available? See, the concept in Exodus chapter 5 is constraining. It's binding. It's a shackle. It's hindrance. And we all feel that way at times. But I want to say this about the deliverance of God. It starts with God and it ends with God. He begins the deliverance in our lives. Waging war on the things that tie you and I up. Why? Because God loves us. I, um, I was interested in this because when Paul enters the city of Athens, he kind of sees that, that there's this provoking in his spirit. He sees all these idols And it says this, that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was full of idols. Not unlike we see deliverance from the the hand of Egypt, Paul too was provoked. But the word in English doesn't do it justice. The Greek denotes this, that opportunity. There was an opportunity in Athens when Paul walked in. And there's an opportunity in our lives, even in the midst of oppression, even in the midst of trial and tribulation. And and the, the opportunity is this. That God delivers. That he wants to work in your life. He wants to work in my life. I, um, <laughs> when I was a child, I used to watch Schoolhouse Rock. Have you ever heard of that show? It's an old show. It was in America, I know. Um, and it was this statement that always resonated with me about Schoolhouse Rock. And, and it said this, knowledge is power. That's, and it was always this guy who said, knowledge is power. How many of you believe that? I believe that, that having knowledge actually is power. And for the reality that's going on in the book of Exodus, knowledge is power. Now I want to read to you Exodus chapter 5. And I want, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read some snippets of it because it's important. Um, first, let me put my glasses on. You all have your glasses on. Exodus chapter 5 is unique in the sense that it's the transition chapter as we move towards um, what it means to see the plagues coming forth. And in Exodus chapter 5, Moses has now come, and Alan did a great job of speaking about this last week to you. But in Exodus chapter 5, we see that Moses comes again to Pharaoh. And after Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. I think that's interesting because God wants them to worship. That's why he wanted them to go. It wasn't that he just wanted their freedom. He wanted them to worship. And the interesting thing is Moses says, yes, our plan was that we would go and have a feast to the Lord. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? I'm sorry. Then he goes on to say, and the Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey the voice to let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor do I, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met us. Please let us go three days to journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us um, with pestilence or without sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look at the people of the land, how many they are now, that they might rest from their labor. 
So that same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people to their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, that they shall lay the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Basically, they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. If you were to break down Exodus chapter 5, it's literally a story of who do you worship? Why do you want to worship? Where do you worship? God drew these people. And it's interesting that he draws them to a place in which they immediately, they immediately have to recognize who their taskmaster is. Now, they probably have been recognizing this for 400 years. There's some question marks. See, when I said knowledge is power, knowledge is power. If the knowledge of the Lord is your strength, if the one that you truly aim to worship is the Lord, then knowledge is power. Why? Because God is the embodiment of all things. He knows all things. He made all things. And if he is the one who created and he made and he allows us to enjoy the mountains, and he allows us to enjoy the seas and the beauty of everything that he has made, then what? He has power. Why? Because he has knowledge. And if we want that knowledge, then we seek after it. Do you remember I told you that everybody was wandering through the streets in Glasgow looking for something? It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. If you turn with me to book, the book of Acts, chapter 17, in the 17th verse, it says, that, it says this specifically, that Paul had reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. But what had he done first? Well, first and foremost, he had recognized something. And I want to go a little bit further when we get into this. Paul recognized and reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day, those who happened to be there. Some of them were Epicureans, some were Stoic philosophers, also conversed with him. And some said, what is this babbler saying? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to Areopagus, saying, may we know these new teachings that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears when we wish to know what they mean. Can you imagine Paul's response when he starts seeing the Stoic philosophers? And they start asking him a question. It's the same response that some of us might have. Well, I'm glad you asked. To be honest, I'm puzzled by the objects of your worship. See, in Exodus chapter 5, the object might be for Israel, the, the object of their worship could potentially have been the bricks and the straw. Why? Because we tend to fixate our mind's eye on the things before us. If we don't have enough straw, we can't make enough what? Have you, have you ever gone through life and actually said, well, if, if this doesn't happen, this isn't going to happen? Have you ever done that? I've done that. Almost presuming that God is not the God of miracles, that God is not the God who guides the path, that God isn't worthy of our trust. I can imagine that Paul said, you, you've created this image in the statue to the unknown God. Why are, you, why are you trying to cover your bases? 
Are you making sure that your worship is pluralistic enough so that it's not, it's not offensive to anyone? See, G- Jesus is the key aim of the story for Paul in Acts chapter 17. The one who is able to deliver. The one who has the power to deliver. The one who can stand in the gap for you and I. The one who actually did the delivery of the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 5. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's this moment when we see, if we're really honest, that all of us, 2,000 years after Exodus or 3,000 years after Exodus, 2,000 years after Jesus, we all still suffer with little G's in our lives. There are still objects of our worship. And I guess the next question is, how do we know this and what do we do about it? And let me, let me be clear and honest, and I want to be fair. Um, Jesus very, very carefully instructed us on how we should look at our own hearts and how we should examine our own lives before we examine anybody else. He said, take the what out of your own eye. Before you look at the what in the other. Can you imagine? Big old logs and and specks. You know, examine the log in your own before you look to the speck in your brother's. Why? Because it's so important that we examine ourselves. And all the while having this huge log in our own eye. But here's the thing, notwithstanding this. It's not, it's not hard to see the pain in other people's lives, is it? Have you noticed pain in others' lives since COVID began? Have you noticed the pain in the society that we live in? You can say yes. This is, you can say no. But the reality is this, that I see it all the time on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and the various forums. I don't do TikTok, but I do see it on the, the various forums. Uh, that, that's for a younger generation. Um, on the various forms of social media. Someone, you know, you, you see a lot of times it's, it's I got to present my best self, my identity as best in those moments. But periodically you find that somebody actually puts something up there painful. And you recognize it very clearly that out of their pain, it's just where they're at in life. And life is hard. Would we all agree with that? And so it comes across this picture. And and oftentimes what happens is we put the pictures of what we worship onto our Facebook and social media. So we automatically, the world sees what we believe, what we see. The object of our worship. See, in the context of Exodus 5, the real object is, like I said, bricks. In Exodus 17, God bless you, in Exodus 17, it's not the bricks. It's the slavery that they're dealing with. And the slavery exists in Acts 17, it acts in Exodus 5. Why? Because we are a slave at times to the society to where we live, and mostly importantly, to ourselves. Slavery brings pressure. It brings a cyclical form of slavery. Why? Because slavery is hard to get out of. And notice that the Israelites were continually under pressure from the Egyptians. Pressure has a toll on our lives. How many of you would agree with me on that? And I, I would say this, that whether it's financial pressure 
whether it's social pressure, sociological pressure, political pressure, whatever the pressure might be, relationship pressure, family pressure, the pressures are all still there. And they do something to us. They change our mind. They change our hearts. Even in children, parents, even in children, the pressure of the last two years has gone out and into them. Did you know that? Uh, it's not me speaking, it's the NHS website that's speaking. Mental health. Mental disorders have increased since 2017. Six to 16 year olds. It used to be that one in, in nine actually had mental health issues. Now it's one in six, according to the NHS. And 17 to 19-year-olds used to be 1 in 10. Now it's 1 in 6. Pressure. Rates of both age groups remain similar in 2020 and 21, meaning they haven't, they haven't escalated or they haven't gone down, but they still are what? Existing. It means that the mental health has deteriorated since 2017. Among 17 to 23-year-olds, I know we have a few of those in here, 52%, 52%. You know why? Can't get a job? Had to go to university online or do, do their work online the last two years? It has caused major disruptions. These are forms of what? Mental health slavery. And we want to call that out. We want to be honest about it. And the way that we deal with this is what? this form of slavery, is often we control. And that's the, that's the manifestation. Notice the statements made by the taskmaster in Exodus chapter 5. They are lazy. Ever heard that one before? How many of you heard that? You're like, yes. are you saying my parents are taskmasters? Um, my high school guidance counselor, God bless her soul, she said that I would never amount to anything when I was 14. Said that directly to my face. And I can understand why, because pretty much adolescent boys know how to say about two words. Uh. Eh? Uh. We don't know how to articulate anything at 14. We go brain dead for a couple years. And it's not until we grow up a bit and then we learn a few more words. Don't comment on that, ladies. But that statement needed to be renounced. I needed to be delivered from that because that's not true. And you know, when taskmasters want to speak over you, when, when whoever's in your life that wants to control you, they speak harshly to you. You ever had a boss that speaks harsh to you? Ever had somebody who's tried to manipulate you? Well, those are all forms of what? Slavery. The Hebrew proverb writer said there's life and death in the tongue. Life and death. We speak truth. Often insidious voices within us condemn us. And this is why we need each other so bad. This is why church has to exist. This is why church has to grow. Because we gather together a people of what? Life. And we are called to speak life into each other. That means that when we see each other, what do we say to them? Hey, it's great to be with you. It's great to see you. Man, I want to give you a hug even when the pandemic says, I can't touch you anymore. Come on. 
We are people made of touch. We're human beings. And the reality is what? Well, there's life and death in the tongue. The enemy continues what I would call project bondage. And the schemes never change. Christian, your enemy, and I, I call you Christian. Christian, your enemy is replicated in the Egyptian taskmaster. Fulfill your daily work, your quota, the straw. Do what I say. It'll be a lash over your back. It might not be a lash over your back. It might be a lash over your mind. But I, I'm telling you, the taskmaster wants to control you. And we have an incredible God. See, the taskmaster aligns himself with the enemy. And the enemy is the, the accuser of the brethren. The Bible calls the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He, he also calls him the ruler of this world. The God of this age, small g, of course. And it goes on to say that he lies and he speaks according to his own nature, for he is the father of lies. How many people have lied to you? Have you experienced any lies in the last two years? Lies. So he's not only able to speak what is false, but he's also able to twist a bit our, our identity and who we are in Christ. That's why Acts 17 matters. That's why it matters so much. Able to resist, to say, you know what, it's not just about the bricks and the mortar. It's not just about the taskmaster's lie that says, I'm lazy. It's more than that. God has called me to something. He's called me to worship. He's called me to a true form of worship. Why? Because although the Egyptians don't want me to worship, the enemy doesn't want me to worship, I am going to stand in the house of the Lord, and what am I going to do? I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to lift my hands high when I worship the Lord. Why? I'm declaring my allegiance again and again to Him. My devotion is His. The goal for the Christian is that we make our identity in the devotion of Jesus to look more like Him. Because he has the power to free us over bondage. He gives us life. Just as he gave little Morvan life, just as he gave little Luke life, is Luke sitting over there just relaxing, or is he over with Mama? He gave life. I can't see. Lexi's got her little baby on her lap. Life. He gives us life. He makes us ready for this life. This is where the maths of battle happens for the younger generation, by the way. Forming identity. And you can, if you can control them, you can form their identity. This is why it's so important. You think the Egyptians didn't understand this? You're not allowed to worship anymore. Parents, and I want to speak to you humbly. I want to speak to you who are parents in the room. Maybe not the ones who have had kids. Maybe your grandparents, but that's important too. But I want to talk to the parents. Um, I've not done everything right when it comes to raising children and raising my children. My children are here, they would testify to that. I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, the one thing I did right, and I was reflecting on this and praying about this to the Lord, the one thing I sense that Courtney and I have done right is we've kept our relationship with Jesus very strong. It's the only thing we really have that they can say and point to and say, that's real, because I've watched my parents. And whether it's oppression or whether it's difficulty and Mind you, I'm not saying we've done it right. I'm saying we've experienced all these things. 
But it's been one of those moments in which we've said, I'm not stopping walking with Jesus no matter what happens. Our children need that consistency in this society. They need this. You know why? Because the moment they go into those primary schools and those secondary schools, their worlds get flipped on their heads. I have, we have teachers here. Can you attest to that? They get ridiculed. The taskmasters, what? Speak. And it could be their peer pressure or their friends, but gosh, they're living under the pressure, the squeezing, the tightening around them. They need somebody in their life. Godparents, they need you to speak life into them. To say, I'm here with you. And I'll tell you this, we can't aim for perfection as parents, by the way. You're not going to be a perfect parent. I'm not going to be a perfect parent. The best thing I can do for my children is point them to the one who is perfect. Always. Just look to Jesus. He's the perfect father. Just look to, to Jesus. I'm not. I might have some reflection of him as I continue to put him first, but he's the one. He's the one who's going to see you through. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who knows the deep dark recesses in your heart when you don't even know how to articulate it to me. He knows what's going on. I point to him. Why? Because identity matters. There's a book that I love, um, and I've read it to all four of my girls, and I want to encourage you. Go to Amazon.com or .co.uk. Don't go to .com because you'll get it in America. But go to .co.uk and order it. It's, it's a story about Punchinello, and I love this story. And it, it literally is, you are mine. You Are Mine is the name of the book. And I was growing up, it's written by Max Licato, and I love this. It's the story of a little boy. His name, the main character is Punchinello, and he's not a boy. He's, he's a little boy wooden person. And he was carved by the master wood carver. And as he puts him together, um, you know, the, this village emerges of all these little wooden people. And there's men and there's women. And what do they do all day long? They go around sticking stars if you're good, and dots on each other. Stars and dots. So if you're good, you get a star. If, you're dot, if, you, if you do something stupid or bad or you know, you're able to be made fun of, they put a, a, a dot on you. And Punchinello is kind of an awkward-looking kid or wooden person um, made by the woodcarver, and he keeps getting dots. And so people come up and just put dots on them all day long. How many of you have had dots put on your lives? And, and the beautiful thing about this is he ends up running into this girl, and her name is Lucia. And Lucia is like, hey, I'm here. And she meets him, and, and he's like, and Puncha's like, why don't you have any dots or stars? And she goes, because I go and spend time with the woodcarver. And he's like, what? And she goes, yeah, you should just go up to the house. Big house on the hill. You should just go up to the house. And you know what he does? He sits there and debates it back and forth. And then he comes to the conclusion, I think I will go up to the woodcarver. And as he enters the door of the woodcarver's massive house, and he's about this small compared to every, all the furniture, he realizes, I don't need to be here. I don't want to be here at all. And he goes to turn around, and you hear this voice, Punchinello. That's about the best I could do, guys. Could you please at least clap for me? Punchinello. You know, this deep voice. I remember when I was a king, I would read it to him, Punchinello. Yeah. And... Uh, and what, what is it? He, he goes up and, and the woodcarver sits him on his desk and, and he, he talks to him and, and, he, and he reveals to him that he was the one who carved him. He was the one who made him. And Punchinello, and then he reveals the reason that she doesn't have any stars or dots 
is because they just don't stick on her because she spends time with me. She cares more about what I think than what he thinks or she thinks. She cares about me. And I want to ask you that. What does it mean for you? What is holding you back from the Lord? What is holding you in that position where all of a sudden I, I don't, I care more about what people think. Maybe there's somebody out there who's speaking over your life something you don't need them to speak. Maybe there's, there's someone out there that you say, hey, I, I know this sounds strange, but I, I can't be around that person right now because they're speaking something over me, right? They're putting a dot on me. I need to spend more time with Jesus. And I can guarantee you, if you spend more time with Jesus, just as Punchinello did, the stars and the dots will fall off. Now, it won't happen immediately because Punchinello walks out the door and, and the woodcarver says, you're mine. And, I, and he, says, he says, I don't make mistakes. And just as he does that, Punchinello believes and a dot falls off. How many of you have dots over your life right now that you need off? We're going to take the time to really ask the Lord to remove the dots. It's important. If we want to experience deliverance, uh, I, um, I, I was very influenced by a, a writer named Derek Prince who wrote a book on deliverance. Uh, he's written a number of books actually on deliverance. He was a Greek scholar at Cambridge University, and he had an encounter with God. Um, he was not a believer at Cambridge, but he had, he had an encounter at Cambridge University in which he became a Christian. And he began writing book after book, and he, he, he talked about personal steps to deliverance. He ended up moving to Israel and adopting nine girls. Isn't that amazing? Got married and adopted a whole family. I bet you he liked lie, 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 lie song. Um, but if we're going to be really interested in actually asking the question, can my dots come off? Then we need to be really honest with ourselves. And we need to, uh, Derek Prince says this, if you want to look to these, he gives seven personal steps, and I'll just run through them in the last five minutes for you. And for me, he says this, embrace this. And he says this, affirm your faith and your trust in Jesus. Affirm your faith in Jesus again. Say, God, I'm yours. I love you. I want you. Wherever you've been, whether I've been far away or whether I've been close, I'm yours. I'm yours. And then he says this, humble yourself. Rightly see yourself the way you should see yourself. And humility is just saying, God, I agree with you. That's, that's the third step, confession. I confess my sins to God. I agree with you, God, that I have, I, have, I have often listened to the voices that I don't need to listen to. They have defined me, and I want you to define me. Forgive me. That's the, the, that's the fourth step. It's so easy. Repent. Say, God, I, I, I need forgive. Forgive me for listening to the voices I don't need to listen to. Forgive me for those voices in my own head that have condemned me. You don't need to be condemned. God didn't come into this world to condemn it, but to love it and to save it 
through Jesus Christ. That's, that's John chapter 16, 17, and 18. And then this is important. Once we have forgiveness and we've said, Lord, I bring to you the things in my life that I need help with. I need, I, I've turned away from the things that have held me in bondage. What you'll find is you'll find that you'll a, you're finally able to forgive others. Why? Because you've experienced the love, the grace, and the mercy from God. And you can extend forgiveness to other people. He also says this. Come on, good to have you, man. Come on. He also says this. Forgive those who have hurt you. How many of you have people that have hurt you and you're carrying those wounds around? God wants to meet you here today. Not tomorrow, not the next day. You don't have to carry that anymore. You can be delivered from that. Today. Today's the day in which you can be free. That's why we do church. That's why we are Christians. That's what Jesus does in the life of the people he meets. He changes them. He loves them. He ministers to them. And, and he cares for them. And you know what? I want to say this. If you're struggling and you've had and held on to little G's in your life, little gods, little things that actually you've exalted as more important than God himself, and we all have them, we've all had them, God just says, turn them over. Cast them to me. Bring them to me and I will forgive you and I will change you and I will clean you and I will watch over you. And the last is this. Take your stand with God today. Make your allegiance be his. I want to follow you, God. I love you. You love me. I want to be in a relationship with you. I care about you. You care about me. You died for me so that I could be free. I don't have to carry bricks and straw and mortar anymore. I'm free. Amen? All right. So I want to pray for us. And if I, want, I just want to pray for us. We're going to take a, a few minutes just to pray. Please bow your heads. Um, let's pray together. Father, um, yeah, we love you, God. We love you, God. We need you. There is nothing that, that holds us back from you except us. <laughs> and so, God, we bring ourselves to you today. Out of the volition of our own wills, we bring ourselves to you and we say, God, I'm here. Will you meet with me? Will you minister to me, God? Will you forgive me? Will you watch over me? Will you save me? Will you love me? Will you call me to a deeper place in my relationship with you? Will you remind me? Will you reveal yourself to me more and more every day? Lord, you are the master word carver. You carve us. You, you mold us. You shape us into, into who we can become. God, there's infinite possibility with you. And I pray, Father, for each of us in this room that, God, you would minister to us, that you would show us your love. Father, in the quietness, just reveal yourself to us right now. We stand and we take our stand for you today. Keeping your heads bowed before the Lord, if there's someone here who needs the Lord, you said, I need to be delivered. I've been, I've been, I've been stuck. Today's the day.
The Bible says today's the day of your salvation. Today's the day in which you can be unstuck. If that's you, just look at me. Just, just look at me. I'll acknowledge you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks, man. Lord, we thank you for the lives that you have given us and the lives you want us to become. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us, deliver us in this time. Yeah, and just in the quietness of your own hearts, this is that time to spend with God. He's here with you. He cares about you. There's nothing that you can hide from him. Just bring your, bring your stuff to him. Bring it to him and he will, he will love you through it all. Jesus, I just think about the time you met with the woman who needed her daughter healed. People were pushing her away from you and you said yes. And she said, God, heal my daughter. She said, why? He said, why? Why, why would I do that? And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. We need you. And he acknowledged her faith. He recognized the beauty of that. Father, may you be glorified in our hearts and our minds as we worship you in Jesus' name.